welcome to River City Church Podcast. We're glad you're listening. We believe this message will be encouraging and timely. To connect with us, find us on social or at rivercitychurch.co. Today we're going to uh, do a brand new series called Comfort and Joy. Uh, we're going to be in part one, and we're going to start today in Luke chapter two. If you've got your Bibles, Luke chapter two, Luke chapter two, uh, verses eight through fourteen, uh, and we're going to start here. You know, we, Christmas has always been one of my favorite holidays, as it is for many of you. Uh, I love it because, of course, of what Jesus has done in my life. Uh, as, you know, a little over 18 years ago, I had rededicated my life to Jesus. I actually came to Christ at a Christmas program uh, when I was seven years old, and then uh, re- for many years had actually personally run from God, was trying to, you know, it was kind of one of those, I-, I procrastinated my faith, just said, one day I'll serve Jesus fully, and and uh, God got a hold of me in college at 18 years old, and, and I just, it, you know, I'm so thankful for all that God's done in my life, the God who's redeemed, God who's set free, God who's provided so much for me in Jesus. And uh, I, I told you last week, I've never regretted a yes to God, and I'm thankful for his gift. Uh, and so let's look at that. Luke chapter 2, verse 8, it says, Now there was in the same country, the country of Bethlehem, near Jerusalem, there was in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. The angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings, good news of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was the angel, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to men. We're talking about in this series leading up to Christmas, comfort and joy. God is the one who has provided for us the greatest gift that's ever been given. It's why we celebrate Christmas. And in the gift of Jesus, we find salvation. We find forgiveness. We find redemption, a future, a hope. But he also brings with him comfort that heals the the most broken areas of our lives. It says in Isaiah 61, the mission statement of Jesus, the Messiah, that he would come and preach the good news to the poor, to those who were in need. He would open the prison doors to those who were bound. And then it tells us that he would make an exchange. He would give us the oil of joy for where we mourn. He would give us beauty for ashes. He would give us what he would make an exchange for us. And and as we look at this today, comfort and joy comes from Jesus He gives us a lasting comfort, a lasting peace, and he gives us a lasting joy that the world cannot give and the world cannot take. And I want to start with two very simple points, and I love this story because here, as the shepherds are going about their business, they're taking care of the lambs, they're taking care of their sheep, heaven announces the good news, that the Lamb of God was being sent into the world, the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Jesus was being born in the manger in Bethlehem, not far from where they were. He was coming as a gift for any who would receive him to find eternal life. And as they... This angel announces the good news. 
Heaven can't even hold back. The, the angels who are witnessing this moment, they've been holding with anticipation this, this praise ready. And as they begin to hear the good news that Jesus has come to the earth from heaven, that they begin to cry out, glory to God in the highest. And here's what they express, peace on earth and goodwill towards men. See, the world by itself cannot find lasting peace. At this time, there was a term in history used called Pax Romana, which is Roman peace. The Roman Empire ruled most of the known world, and and the declaration was that they had largely conquered most of their enemies, and they considered it an era of peace, but it was a peace that would not last. And that's been true throughout human history. Man's greatest efforts to find fulfillment and peace without God have always ended in heartache and turmoil and hatred and war and division and destruction. There's always been this brokenness, a part of the human story from the garden on to the end. But Jesus came right in the middle of human history to bring the will of God about to mankind. And here's what it said, peace on earth, goodwill to men. He offered something through Jesus that God was wanting all of mankind to possess, which was his peace, a peace that doesn't come from all of our circumstances working out great or everybody liking us all the time. How many know that's a little hard to do? But he came to offer us something that the world could not provide, but heaven could. And so let's look at it. There's two points I want to give you today. The first one is this. What is keeping you from God's comfort and God's joy? See, I don't I don't know that things by themselves can steal our joy. We say that, and, but I, I think we can surrender it, especially as a Christian. You've been given peace and joy in Christ, and, and we have a choice every day to surrender what we've been provided. And we surrender them to things I'm going to call a killjoy today. And, and anybody knows, you know, there's some people that are glass half full people. Anybody of those in the room? Nobody. Okay, wow, we got, we got to pray. Uh, we, we don't have any of those, one or two. Uh, some of us are glasses half empty people. Uh, and, and some of us are, the glass is not only half empty, the glass has been stolen. Somebody took my glass and broke it. <laughs> and, and it's that kind of, that might, you know, those are the people that when you're gathering with friends, I've got some friends that, you know, I love them, I dearly love them, but they're kind of, no matter what the conversation is, they don't want to talk about anything just enjoyable or fun. They want to talk about the price of gasoline. And so I want to address five things that I think are killjoys. These are five things that in our life, especially even as believers, that can rob us and steal and take away our joy or we surrender our joy to, our comfort to. And we're going we're gonna to tack these head on before we dive into how to maintain and stay in joy. But I want us to start here. Uh, a killjoy is a person who deliberately spoils the enjoyment of others through resentful or overly sober behavior. Uh, the first killjoy we're going to look at today is actually what Jesus came to save us from. It's the killjoy of sin. It's the problem of sin that all humanity has been under the weight of and has not found an answer to. All religion could do was try to find man's best efforts to get to God, but sin itself has separated us by an impassable gulf and that we would never be able to be good enough to, to, to make it to heaven. But the good news of Jesus is heaven came down through a Savior to make a way for us to be made right with God, to overcome our sin, to be set free from sin. But sin has a toll it exacts. It has a price that it exacts. And, and David, the psalmist, wrote this in Psalm 32. He describes this contrast between having forgiveness of sin and being b- burdened by the weight of guilt and shame that result from sin. He says this, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven 
whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. In other words, they don't lie to themselves any longer. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped, taken from me as in the heat of the summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I didn't cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And the result of that was, you forgave the guilt of my sin. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds him who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you are upright in heart. See, some of us have been Christians long enough that we've forgotten what it's like to be forgiven. We've forgotten the joy of our salvation that we once maybe had when we first gave our life to Jesus and we were full of joy and thankfulness and gratitude, but religion robbed us of that and, and we, we, we forgot what it is to know the joy of forgiveness and redemption. That as we carry the weight of our guilt and the weight of our shame, we came guilty before God, but we confessed our sin and gave him ashes, the ashes of our own failure, the, our own shame. And here's what he did. He gave us his beauty. He forgave us. He redeemed us. Aren't you glad for that? He says, blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven. But to carry the weight of shame is to carry a burden that's too great for us to bear, and it's one that robs us of joy. So don't ever have, keep, you know, they, they, the old saints used to say, keep short accounts with God. Don't carry guilt and shame. Don't, don't let it weigh you down. Be real with God. Don't lie to yourself. God sees everything, but he loves you more than anybody ever will. Draw near to God. Come with your brokenness. Come before him and receive his grace and goodness. In Psalm 38, 4, he says, My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. I'm bowed down and brought low. In John 10.10, Jesus describes two different effects in our lives. One is from thieves that steal, kill, and destroy. And of course, that's the devil, but it's so much more than that. See, sin is a thief that robs us. It steals, us of the, steals from us the very things that God has provided for us, that he always intended for us to have. From the very beginning, God created a world that was good. He created mankind, said it is good. But sin came to corrupt and taint a world that God had created good. And Jesus came to put that right. Here's what he says. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. And the second kill joy is one we've almost deified in the last couple of years, but it's been a problem throughout all human history as well. It's that of fear. Fear is something that causes us to draw away. It's something that causes us to bury what God has given us. It's something that causes us to be afraid to step forward into what we're created and, and called to do. And the reason why fear is such a problem is here's in 1 John 4, 18, he says, there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. Why? Because fear involves torment. And it doesn't matter what the fear is. However, that, you know, there's, fear takes a lot of shapes and forms. It starts with the fear of death. It, it, it says in the Bible, in Hebrews, that the devil has kept all of humanity bound by the fear of death. Jesus crushed him, defeated him, set us free from that fear. But I, I tell you, I, I've met people, and they actually say this statistically, people have more fear of standing in front of a room full of people and talking than they do of dying. 
That's pretty interesting. I can relate to that because I actually was terrified of, of public speaking myself. But I, I, I can understand the fear of spiders. I don't know what happened when I was five or six years old. Somehow, I don't know, I must have, you know, watched. I watched two things that I probably shouldn't have. I watched arachnophobia. And I watched killer clowns from outer space. And it created in my life two unnatural fears, <laughs> clowns and spiders. I, I heard a rec- not long ago about uh, there's a phobia, a fear of peanut butter. I get spiders. I don't get the peanut butter thing. I have a fear of having a peanut butter sandwich and not having water, but that's another story. There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts all fear. So, so these two cannot occupy the same space. If I'm living with the fear of rejection or the fear of failure or whatever the fear is, if I haven't, if I haven't received love, love heals my heart. Love sets me free from fear. And when I receive God's love and I'm motivated by love, there's no place for fear to remain. So you see, if, if, if a... If a parent has a child that's still in a burning building, they're not going to think about the harm that could come to them. They're going to do whatever it takes to get their child and rescue them. Fear is cast out by perfect love at that moment. Love is what motivates and drives, and I'm not thinking about what it costs or what harm could come. I'm driven by love. That's the opposite of fear. Fear involves torment, but love heals. Love restores and sets free. In fact, he says, but he who fears has not been made perfect in Love. The third kill joy is one that we also in our culture today have almost deified its offense. In fact, we've made it a virtue. I'm only on Twitter for one reason. It's to find out what I'm supposed to be offended at. <laughs> Lately. <laughs> and, and that's the sad reality is we've made it a virtue. We've made it something that we, we celebrate instead of realizing it's actually a trap we're called to be free from. People that live their lives offended are people who never find joy. So Matthew 24.10, Jesus describes, he starts with the destruction of the temple and, and the conditions leading to that in, the next gen, in that generation. Then he points to his second coming and he describes conditions, the conditions of the human heart apart from God. And here's what he says as he's pointing to this time. He says this, Matthew 24.10, then many will be offended and will betray one another, and will hate one another. It's, it's tragic how much that has invaded our lives. And so here's what he says. So this word offense in Greek is a Greek word, scandalizo, and it means a trap that's set. So here's the picture. It's like an animal trap. There's a box. you got a stick that holds it up with a little string to pull it, and then inside the trap is bait. And so here's, here's what offense is. It's the trap stick. It's the, it's the snare of the trap that when you go for one thing, you go, you're, 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 you're stuck in a moment of hurt or disappointment or loss or frustration or anger or whatever, and you allow offense to take root in your life. What happens is you're entering a trap. You're going for bait to feel better, to, to, to vent, to, to, to be angry, whatever it is. But the problem is it's actually a trap that snares you. And so here's the picture. It's to, to put a snare in the way. So, so, so the enemy uses offense as a tool to keep many people bound. And you'll never find joy and comfort and peace as long as you allow offense to rule your heart. 
Offense is a trap, and I found people that are offended are trapped in a moment. It could have been 10, 20 years ago, and they stay trapped in that, not realizing God wants to set them free, and when you're free and you forgive and you release that offense, it actually frees you from that moment you were never called to stay in. And so offense is something we're meant to release and and be free from, and the result, of course, of, of offense is what we see here, betrayal and hate for one another. So let's not make it a virtue. Let's not celebrate it. Let's be free from it. Number four is, is uh, the fourth kill joy is self. Okay, it'll get fun in a moment, I promise. Okay, self-centeredness. We got to deal with it because self-centeredness, I think the main reason we're unhappy or sometimes can't find fulfillment and joy is at the root. In fact, at the root of most sin is this idea of self-centeredness. It's, it's interesting to me, you know, I never had to teach my kids to be selfish. <laughs> I never had to do that. I never had to, and, and I, I found, you know, when I got married, I found out I'm selfish. And then I had kids that wanted to be up at two in the morning, and I realized I really am selfish. And, and then the dog came, and well, the dog can go, but no, anyway, my wife won't let me. That is me being selfish. Um, so, so, but, he, but here's, the, here's the reality, that self-centeredness robs us of joy. It robs us of joy because it puts our focus on the wrong thing. It puts our focus on places of our own life that we're trying to find perfection and fulfillment, but it, we can't. And so when we, we are self-centered, it's kind of like in, in astronomy, there's one of the greatest forces in the known universe is a black hole that just everything that comes anywhere near it, including light, cannot escape. It just gets sucked into it. And so here's, the, here's what happens. Self-centered people are just like that. Rather than giving out, they're always pulling in. And all I have to do to have a really bad day is get focused on me and what's not working out. What's not happening the way I expect, the way I want, and you know, and, and I become self-focused, self-centered. I, I think that's you know, Paul. Paul gives us the key in Galatians two twenty. He says, "It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I've been crucified to the world. In Christ, my flesh has been crucified. So, so the self-centeredness, the only answer is a cross, and looking to Jesus." And living a life that begins to be generous towards God and towards others. But number five is this, living for what's empty. Oh, living for what's empty. You know, I think the reason for the absence of joy for a lot of people is the pursuit of lesser things or just simply empty things. It's things that promise life, promise fulfillment, but they can't provide it. It's areas that we pursue and find that it's just grasping at wind. Uh, There's a couple verses I want to give you that illustrate this. Hosea 4.10, for they shall eat but not have enough. It's weird that we are probably, of any generation of human history, have access to more of what we want at any moment and at any time, but we have no more joy than other people. In fact, I would argue we have less joy than any generation before because there's a lot of things we think will fill but won't. We think will satisfy but won't. Job 15, 31 says, Let him not trust in vanity, emptiness, or futility. And be led astray. For emptiness will be his reward for such living. So, so when I pursue what's empty, the only reward I get is emptiness. 
And that's why there's a lot of people that pursue things they think will find identity and purpose and value and worth, but apart from God, those things become fleeting and elusive. The second point, I've got two main points for you. The first one was, what's robbing you of your joy? The second one is, Jesus brings real comfort and joy to our lives. He brings real and lasting comfort and joy. I already mentioned it, but in Isaiah 61, he says, I want to make an exchange. I want to give you beauty for ashes. I want to give you joy for mourning. Where you're broken, bring it to me, and I will bring you what you need. Where we are empty, he fills us. Where we're hurting, he heals us. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to forgive us of our sins, set us free from the penalty and price of sin, but he also came to fill us with life and his joy. Luke 19 tells a great story. We may remember it from Sunday school. It's the story of Zacchaeus. Some of you are going to be singing the song in the back of your head. But but Zacchaeus is an interesting story because Zacchaeus is one that nobody liked this guy. Like nobody. And here's why. He was a tax collector. He worked for the IRS. But not only that, he was the chief tax collector. And tax collectors weren't just ones that collected taxes, but often were corrupt themselves and would exact more than they were required to. So they would take They would take a cut for themselves, and they would extort people and take from people. And so here's what it says in Luke 19.2. Now behold, there was a certain man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was wealthy. He had everything he could probably want. But he sought to see who Jesus was. So, So he hears about Jesus. Jesus is coming to town. He hears about Jesus, and he hears there's something different. Maybe he's heard about the miracles. I don't know. Maybe he's heard what he's taught. But he's he's drawn to Jesus. He's drawn to life, and and he can't. It's this is kind of funny. Uh, he couldn't see because of the crowd, for he was vertically challenged. So he ran ahead, climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and he saw him. This whole crowd of people. And, and they're probably, we're going to see in a second, they're people that don't like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is looking to Jesus. He's trying to find Jesus. He's trying to get a glimpse, catch him, because there's, in all of the things he had, he didn't find what he was looking for. Jesus comes into town, walks by, he climbs up the tree, and Jesus looks and notices him. And here's what he says. Jesus came to the place. He says, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste. Made haste, came down, and received him joyfully. Joy comes when we receive Jesus. Joy comes when we make room in our lives, our home, our, our family, our, our environment for Jesus. We make room in our hearts for Jesus. So he received him joyfully. But when the others saw it, the crowd, they all complained. One was joyful, the others complained. I think that's the choice for most of us. We can be critics or we can be worshipers. We, we, can, we can be caught up in being offended or we can be full of joy. We can complain or we can praise. And so here's what he does. They, they, they complain. He's gone to be a guest with a man who's a sinner. <laughs> Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I, I give half of my goods to the poor. 
And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I will restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he's also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. This is so huge, guys. Zacchaeus begins to recognize, I need to make room for Jesus. And as he receives, as Jesus has called him and and accepted him and, and said, I'm coming to your home. He was accepted by one that everybody else had rejected him. But Jesus accepted him. And as he responds to Jesus, here's what he does. He immediately begins to repent. He's saying, Lord, I'm giving half of what I have to the poor. I've lived selfish, but now I'm going to be generous. That's what grace does. It changes your life so that you become generous where you've once been self-centered. Where you begin to serve and love people instead of just always be taking from them. Where you look at people not as somebody who's there in your life to be used, but somebody that's there in your life to be served and blessed. Okay. Zacchaeus says, and if I've, done anything, if I've taken from anybody, I'm not just going to restore what I've taken. I'm going I'm to give them fourfold back. In other words, he's saying, your goodness has led me to repentance. I, I'm, I'm having a change of heart because of Jesus. Joy, I, I've got a little acronym as we prepare to close. I don't give you acronyms very often, but <laughs> it's joy. Joy comes from what's first in my life. The J here is Jesus. When Jesus is first, I think the reason why we have certain killjoys in our life that are robbing, that are stealing, that we're surrendering our joy and our peace and our comfort to is because of what is first and what's not first. When, when my son was, was two years old, my oldest son, I, I, I did what I always do. I started assembling. He, he was transitioning out of a crib into a, a, a big boy bed. And I did what I always do. I started assembling the furniture without looking at the instructions. And it looked good. I mean, this part looks like it goes here, and this part looks like it goes here, and you got the rails, and you got the slats, and I'm, I'm assembling this whole thing until I get to the very last step that's possible and realize I've done the whole thing wrong. And the only answer is I have to go back to the instructions. There's only one way to live in joy. Go back to the instructions to put Jesus first. And when I put Jesus first, all the things I've worried about, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, the things that I'm worried about, the things that keep me up at night, the things I'm trying to make happen. He says, I'm going to take care of it. But it matters what's first. Jason, if you and the team want to get ready. Second one is, is others. It's others. The key to overcoming self-centeredness is found in giving away what I have. And that's more than, you know, we, we, we give financially, we give of our time. Do you know what I've found with my three kids? The best way I can show them love is spend time with them. They value that more than anything I could buy them, more than anything I can do for them, just to be with them. And when we begin to not just look at ourselves, but we begin to reach other people, that's actually the definition of what ministry is. Ministry isn't just leading worship and preaching sermons. It's serving and loving people, freely giving away what we've been freely given. God has given us joy. We give it away. Can I tell you one of the greatest witnesses to the world is going to be a joy-filled church? It's going to be a hope-filled church. 
He's going to be a church that walks in God's peace because their eyes are focused on Jesus, the Prince of Peace. So we begin to give away, I love this, Acts 20, verse 35, and everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I was an only child, so I was by natural nature selfish. <laughs> I loved Christmas when I was a little kid because of what I would get. And as I grew and now have three children of my own, my joy is giving to them. My joy is, is, is seeing needs met, is, is helping hurting people. That's, that's what, when, when you give to others, you feel that joy, that, that lift, that happiness. It's just simply true. Generous people are joy-filled people. People who love others are people that are filled with joy. You reap what you sow. Yeah, you just don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm going through it. Listen, I'm right there with you. I've had a lot of things that I was hurting in, but I learned to help people in the very areas that I was hurting. I've prayed for needs that I needed, but I've watched out of praying for others, God begin to bring that in my life. When I got over myself and began to love other people, serve other people, the last one is, is, is why is you. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Last verse, 1 Peter 5, 7. Give all your worries and cares to God because he cares for you. Can I just... Can I help all the perfectionists in the room? Life's never going to be perfect. As long as you're just trying to make everything perfect, you won't have joy. If we put Jesus first, we begin to love other people, and then we, we have to receive. God doesn't leave us out of the equation. We need to receive from God. Some people don't know how to receive because they don't really believe that God cares about them. I just read it to you. Give all your worries, all your cares to God, for he cares about you. He cares about you. So we can come to God with whatever we need, and he's there to meet us. He's so good. He's so faithful. He's a God who keeps his promises. He's a God who keeps his word. And I want to pray for a couple things today. As a prayer team gets ready to come down, I, I want to first pray for you. If you're in here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it all starts there. It all starts with receiving the gift of Jesus for yourself. No one can do it for you. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. As I receive Jesus for myself, I receive all that he brings. I'm asking you to bow your heads, close your eyes. If you're in here and you've never said yes to Jesus, or you're not sure if you have, but you'd like to today, this is the reason Jesus died on a cross. It's for you. He cares for you. He wants you to know him. Maybe you have prayed a prayer like what we're going to do in a moment, but you've been far from God, and today you say, I need a fresh start. 
I need to come home to God. Maybe you're like I was in college at 18 years ago, running from God, saying one day I'll serve God, but then I came to a crossroads, an absolutely critical crossroads in my life, where the decision I was going to make was to determine the course of my life. And God reached down and met me through his love, just like Jesus calling to Zacchaeus in the tree, I want to come to your house. And he received him joyfully. You need a new beginning today. You need a fresh start today. If that's you, you say, Brian, I need you to pray with me. Right where you're at, I want you to lift your hands. Say, yeah, that's me. I need Jesus in my life. I need God in my life. I need a relationship with God. I need Jesus. I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. And any who say, that's me, that's, I need this, I, wanna, I want you to pray with me. And I'm going to ask all those that are here to pray together with us to encourage you. But today, We believe this message will be encouraging and timely. To connect with us, find us on social or at rivercitychurch.co.